since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. Indeed we are. And this episode we are talking about Pericles, Prince of Tyre. Uh, a very different play, uh, let us put it that way. A very un-Shakespearean Shakespeare play, uh, which we'll get into uh, the un-Shakespeare nature of it. Um, but it, it is high level follows the adventures of one Pericles, the Prince of Tyre, mm-hmm. <laughs> as the title would indicate. Uh, and his... his travels around uh, the Mediterranean basically um, and it's it's an interesting play I I enjoyed it quite a bit I want watching it reading it I think I may have found my new favorite Shakespeare play hey it was one of the more enjoyable plays I think I like the it's it's one of the first romance plays that we're really going to talk about in depth as like you know yeah I mean is it a romance? It feels like yeah. Uh, it's more of a morality play, almost. But it's though. it's like it's, it's a problem play. Let's yeah, agree let, there. Let's call it a problem and play, and we could sure. call it it. It's one of those plays that falls into the category of the late romances, along with Winter's Tale, The Tempest, Cymbeline, in the sense that there's there's bigger picture stuff going on than simply you know mistaken identity although there is that mm-hmm. or um untimely death although there is that mm-hmm. it it mixes those things up hence the problem play aspect mm-hmm. but it it speaks to a, a a maturity and different concerns than earlier plays might have or even the 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 middle tragedies that we've yeah. recently found our way out of yeah yeah it's 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 less concerned about the interiority of the characters yeah and a little more concerned about an overarching plot and growth and development of those characters feels like a fairy tale like that's how that's how it's been described in the things that i've been reading about it and in my own reading of it like watching it i i thought and reading it um thought it felt kind of like the the like the tales of Hercules adventures, you know, exactly. or or uh, Jason and the Argonauts. Like mm-hmm. I said that when we were actually watching the play, we were like, I'm like, this is Jason and the Argonauts. We're going to go catch the Golden Fleece and that's this scene. And now we're going to do this and that's this scene. And yeah, you know, and that's what makes it feel not Shakespeare. Right. But it also makes it interesting because it is still Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, maybe before we go too further into the depths of Pericles. Uh, let's do our 30-second uh, synopsis. Uh, you do your 30-second okay. synopsis. All right. Well, I'm not doing anything that's except one, timing it. Well, that's still half the half the battle. Oh. Otherwise, it's just me rambling for 12 minutes. Um, 12 minutes? Well, I could... You get 30 seconds, babe. That's I know. it. That's what I'm saying, because you're here. If you were oh. here, then I would ramble for 12 minutes. Okay. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say, so uh, we'll just ad-lib it. We'll, we'll do it like they taught us in improv class. You never took improv classes. Of course I took improv classes. When did you take improv classes? Junior high. I was Seems in like drama. everything you did, you did in junior high. You're like, <laughs> when did I read Shakespeare? <laughs> I read it in junior high. When it was all in one class. Classes? I don't junior remember the teacher's high. name, but she made me do it all. I think your, your junior high teacher is like, 
everybody's Canadian girlfriend. Like, <laughs> she exists, I swear. I she swear, just lives she's in real. Canada. Yeah. Which is weird because living in Canada, I never had a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I'm ready. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, except I don't have a, a, a sound on my phone just yet. So I'm going to pick a sound. It could be any Over sound. Over here. It doesn't matter. That's fine. Okay. That'd I hope it fine. wasn't picked up by the microphone. Yeah, it'll be a surprise. I do want it to be a surprise. Okay. I'm going to turn up the volume, too. Please do. All right. I'm ready. You're, are you sure? No. Give me a second. Do you like uh, to see the the 30 seconds as it counts down, or does that give you... Is that too no, much it's, pressure? No, it excuse me out. Show me when there's like 10 seconds left. Okay. Let me just hold okay. it up to my face. Okay. okay. Throw it in your face. <laughs> God, we should be video recording our podcast. It'd be so <laughs> It'd be much terrible. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Ready? Yep. Go. Pericles sets off an adventure, goes to one place, uh, almost gets killed. Uh, assassin chases him. He winds up somewhere else, uh, and he's escaping the assassin. So he goes to another place and brings some food, and everyone there loves him. Uh, goes off to another place, finds a bride. Uh, his her wife is her name is Tasia, and Tasia maybe, and they have a baby. But then there was a shipwreck, and the baby uh, is thought no, no no the mother's thought missing, uh, and the baby goes off somewhere else. And then in the last act. Mother, baby, and father all come together. Okay, that well, was, was very really quiet. Jeez, I, I thought you turned up the volume, so Lindsay. <sighs> and it's Taisa. Taisa? Yes. Okay. Taisa. I would still say Tasia. I will say Tasia for the rest of this episode. Um, so that was a very bad summary, but yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> well, it's I mean it captures the the essence of it, which is that there's a lot of go a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, you missed all the stuff about Marina, well, Marina and the pirates and prostitution and, the prostitutes and everything. Yeah, it was, um, uh, it was the whole yeah. thing about incest, which is like a major theme in this mm. play. Yeah, relationships between fathers and daughters. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but yeah, it's under a larger subset. But anyways, that's it. That's the play. <laughs> um, we'll obviously go into more detail as, as we continue on. But um, before we go even there, uh, let's do the background on the play itself. Uh, it was originally published as a quarto. Uh, 1609 or so, or no, 1609 for sure. I, I just read this, uh, and it was one of the few plays that was that appeared and was uh, attributed to Shakespeare during his life, and then did not make its way into the folio. Why not? Why not is a good question. Um, but before we get into that question, uh, the quarto itself has a number of issues with it. The text is kind of garbled mm. and hard to read. Even uh, some things are just like really impossible to make out. So uh, the version that we get is kind of is often been very heavily cleaned up and and uh, adapted a little bit to make sense. Remember that a lot of these quartos were not, I mean, these plays weren't meant to be published. These were remembrances of actors reading their lines sometimes. Yeah, this one they definitely. people in the audience. Yes, this one they definitely the think it's just someone remembering the play yes. for the original uh, quarto as well. Um, so that's, that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, the story itself, largely based on uh, John Gower's, it's an actual book, I forgot the name of the book, but his character, uh, Apollonius of Tyre, it's basically the exact same story. Uh, Shakespeare just changed it to Pericles. Um, and he did so because he probably wrote this play with somebody else, a man named George Wilkins, who had a novelization called The Painful Adventures of Pericles, <laughs> which is accurate. Uh, and uh, he attributes in, I think, the cover of that, that novel, uh, he says, oh, it's based on the play by Shakespeare. Oh. So he's basically saying, yeah, this is... So they, which they, came first, well, they, Wilkins or Shakespeare? They were both came Chicken out around... Egg. 
Not really. Not really. <laughs> there's okay. definitely a, there's definitely one or the other. Um, but it sounds like probably sh- the the play came first. Um, okay. But it is widely considered that uh, Shakespeare wrote it with Wilkins. So here's the thing, and why I got confused when we were initially talking about this a couple weeks ago. I said Pericles sounds like it's going to be like a swashbuckling, you know, adventure story with like a, a military leader or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Pericles was an actual Athenian general or something during the Peloponnesian War or yeah, something he was like that? The, yeah, he was the leader of... Right. Yeah. So I got that confused and yeah. I, I wondered why they would why he was he wasn't would make the name i guess he was kind here. of a military leader but he well, was whatever. like, he was in like mean, the elected leader of athens during the yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so i i i guess i i thought this was going to be about him and having not read this is not a very popular play it's, so it yeah. doesn't hasn't really infested the, the popular pop imagination yeah um but yeah just confusing shakespeare uh, no, and absolutely uh mr and wilkins exactly and i don't know exactly why they both changed it to pericles that's yeah. not immediately clear i'm sure someone knows so if you do drop us a comment um but it's uh yeah it's well considered that uh they both play together um the most common reading is that wilkins probably wrote the first two acts and shakespeare wrote the last three right um and i don't really necessarily buy that i feel like there's still a lot of shakespeare throughout the play i don't know when you were watching and reading Lindsay, did you feel like oh this isn't shakespeare i didn't have that sense really at any time I think except the, for the structural things which we'll get yeah, to yeah and and I mean the the beginning the chorus it's interesting because it's jarring the rhyme scheme is different it's not um it's not iambic pentameter it's whatever tetrameter I think right and yeah. it's um it feels it feels different. It doesn't feel that that part doesn't feel like Shakespeare. Yeah. So I can see why people and and when you first read it, like it's the first thing that shows up. And then there's a few things with like, um, oh, what do they call it? Like a, a I want to call it a mask, but that's not it. Where it's like the the silent like a tableau almost oh, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. that happens. Dumb show. The dumb show. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like that. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that in Shakespeare. Yeah. So I mean stuff like that that feels yeah. Like, it's either not Shakespeare or Shakespeare trying something new. Well, that, right? that, and that's what I kind of le- headed right. my brain down that path because I found it was it was kind of reminiscent of the way uh, Shakespeare may have worked with someone on Henry VI, the early Henry VI mm-hmm. ones, uh, or Two Gentlemen of Verona has been passed off as maybe not being entirely his. The, these earlier plays that, that maybe weren't all Shakespeare, um, it still feels like Shakespeare. It's just Shakespeare with you know someone else maybe did the first draft or someone else said i'll take these scenes Mm -hmm. and then shakespeare came in and cleaned them up because they still do or vice versa yeah well no i I, personally i feel like it's it shakespeare had the final pen because it still feels like shakespeare just shakespeare yeah saying oh you want to do this chorus in iambic tetrameter yeah sure let's do that with rhyming couplets fuck yeah i can do that i I wrote sonnets i know what i'm doing and he just did it but it's still shakespeare's tone and style and approach just matching this older feeling and it's it's worth mentioning that yeah. the the chorus is uh in the text at least uh characterized Ga- as gower. gower himself yeah, yeah gower himself he's talking about oh it's my play or my story that resurrected from the ashes yeah, yeah yeah so um and gower would have written in this uh older style of yeah. rhyming and scheming right so i mean if shakespeare is he's always stolen his sources anyways this time he's maybe just a little bit more upfront about it well and and it's likely that he also worked with other people throughout his career too like I I think it's hard to really I mean we aren't 
the kind of Shakespeare scholars who can say this with any certainty. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. often will just say this is Shakespeare whole cloth. But, I mean, the fact that he wrote it with somebody else, I'm assuming this is why it wasn't included in the folio. Probably. And and that, I mean, is kind of like, I, I it doesn't bother me at all. No. when When you hear people say, oh, this was not, this was written with somebody. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, probably a lot of his stuff was written with <laughs> yeah. somebody. Yeah, or, you know, he changed lines because, yeah, because yeah. the actor's like, oh, I don't like that line. And he changed it, and that's yeah. what stuck, or it didn't yeah. stick, or we don't get the version that was actually produced. It happened 400 years ago, so who the well, hell knows? Well, and it's also, I, okay, just a brief aside, it's <laughs> like we've romanticized the idea of Shakespeare as this lone genius, and we have a completely different conception nowadays of how writing is done. Mm-hmm. That it's a sole venture. That it's not a collaborative thing. Yeah. And that was totally yeah. not the case back then. Yeah, we've talked about this many times. Yeah. It's much closer to a studio, you but know, I guess I guess why I'm, why I'm bringing it up is because in what I've been reading, a lot of people, it seems to be that the hint, there's hints of... Um, disgust or distaste for yeah, this play because yeah. it's not pure Shakespeare. Yeah. It's not in the folio, so it's yeah. not really Shakespeare. And yeah. I'm like, bollocks, that's dumb. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. It is a tale told by an idiot. It's full of sound and fury. Signifying nothing. And one of the ways it's most notably different from uh, other Shakespeare plays uh, is what we've kind of already mentioned, the structure itself um, with the chorus and the dumb scenes uh, or the dumb plays at the, the start of each act. Um, and even sometimes in the middle of the act, uh, the text itself has some things kind of going on in like individual scenes, not even between acts. So it's a very different kind of approach to what Shakespeare uh, usually did. Uh, and it does feel like a traditional maybe morality play or something like that. It has these kind of the narrator coming in to tell you how to think and feel about these things a little bit stronger. Um, but most importantly, I'd say, and the way I, I feel like it's it's still very Shakespeare is that uh, it's one of his very few plays with without the unities of time, especially. Um, but location, obviously, as well. It's He's going all over the Mediterranean. He's in Tyre. He's in uh, Antic- Antichamus. What's the guy's name? Antigonus. Uh, his country. And then there's he's in Mytilene and, and Petrotol- Petropolis or something like that. He's all over the place. Uh, and, and there's nothing to distinguish these places from each other. Uh, you know, he can reach one in a day and and then the other one's like, oh, that's too far. The the little princess won't make it that far. We have to go somewhere else. And then he's gone in a day. Like, it's just, it's all over the place uh, physically. And most importantly, though, is the the, the timeline. Uh, you know, he's jumping around the Mediterranean. But then there's also a big 14-ish maybe year gap uh, in the middle where, you know, Pericles has left his daughter in a place that he could easily get back to at any time, but he just leaves her there for 14 years. Uh, and his wife, who is shipwrecked and uh, or presumed dead and discarded at sea, just hangs out in a nunnery for 14 years. Just just hangs out there. Uh, could easily get to Tyre, uh, but doesn't. You know where her husband presumably would be and has been the last 14 years. Well, she she just, thinks he's dead though, too, right? <sighs> Yeah, but she doesn't check. <laughs> like, she doesn't well, no, send that, a message that's, that's, to say, like, you know what, maybe I should just... Is there any news about Tyre? So, you know. so I think I think the, the issue with your reading of that is that you're trying to inject uh, realism into this, and, there, and it can't be. Yes, absolutely. This is absolutely supposed to be read as 
I said it already, a fairy tale, right? Like, it's it's not meant to be realistic. It's like Cinderella and the Talking Mice. Like, you just kind of have to suspend disbelief. Absolutely. And say, yeah, Thaisa's not going to check. Absolutely. And it's fine. And it's fine. And it works. Because it, it works. makes the ending more poignant. Exactly. It, it, well, it's the only thing that makes the ending happen, right? So, I mean, it's it, it feels non-Shakespearean that way, though, for sure. Like, compared to all his other plays... Um, we've, we have not yet had a 14 year gap in any of the plays. Um, we have also not usually have this much back and forth. I mean, occasionally you had it in like some of the history plays, you know, you're in France and then you're in England, Henry the sixth again comes to mind. Um, and other ones where, yeah, there's a bit of going back and forth, but most of it, Hamlet is set in, you know, uh, the Denmark. Throne room. Yeah. in the throne room. Yeah. And Macbeth is set in Scotland. And but, but Shakespeare doesn't always ascribe strictly to the unities the no. way that the ancient Greeks would expect. Absolutely. Him to. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's it that we're not trying to say that. No, I'm just saying this is him playing fast, fast and loose with it. Far and and more that's than why the, that's, any point that's what makes this and Cymbeline and the Tempest less so and the Winter's Tale so well, Winter's interesting because they are kind of experimental in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's also what helps them defy categorization yeah. and kind of represent their own category yeah. of Shakespearean play. Well, and it feels like a natural evolution. I feel like by going to an older form and doing this kind of sweeping epic where, you know, he's going to be across 15 different locations, yeah. Shakespeare's not tied down to the 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 rules that he's kind of followed and laid out and worked yeah. with thus far in his career yeah and that gives him a little more freedom on top of all the other ones like uh when we get to all the the comparison families and stuff like that mm-hmm. i feel like that's something that uh shakespeare's been building up to up to this point um but with this he's he's given more sh- more freedom for the plot and i think the Result of that, I don't know, Lindsay, you can tell me if you feel the same way, but it really gives a sense of dynamism to the characters in a sense that you can see them grow and change over this time. And, you know, Pericles is the young hero going off to get a bride. And then at the end, he's a beaten down old man who's a father, but he's who's gone through these huge adventures. And, and you feel like a sense of relief because he's he's fought through all these things and you've seen him go through them all. And he's arrived at this at this end date as a yeah. different person. He's he's really the only one who gets to have that that kind of change. Thaisa because a little bit maybe. I don't know, I mean, and definitely not Marina because we don't really know her until she's yeah fourteen or fifteen. Yeah. But well, she's um, <laughs> but I yeah I I was initially going to say that Pericles feels like he doesn't change very much just from. Like my first read of the story, the character he is at the beginning is like a good upstanding moral character and he's still a good upstanding moral character. But there's yeah. so much else going on that does change. And I think we'll get to that when we talk about themes of deception and themes of power. Um, those are those are some things that lead to big changes in, um, in Pericles' mm-hmm. life or character yeah. that we could point to for sure. Nothing will come of nothing. But let's start talking about family. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest themes in the play um, because it starts off with um, Pericles, yeah, kind of in search of this family that he is um, trying to create, I guess, looking for a wife, yeah. looking for a way to start a family, which is his duty. Is he, He's the king of Tyre, but he's referred he's a, to as the prince he's of Tyre. He's the prince at the start and then... It's never really mentioned when, probably after the shipwreck, 
he becomes a king because presumably yeah. his dad's died or well, something. Well, and, like and that. even but even then he doesn't really rule over Tyre. No, at he's all, not ever. really. Yeah. So I mean, he's not, he's not really king. the king, of, but he's referred yeah. to as the prince of Tyre. And anyway, he he has to set up his his dynasty, his lineage. Mm-hmm. So that's his main concern. But the first family he encounters is this like. Hugely dysfunctional one. Yeah. That Aiden missed in, entirely in his intro. But it's so gross. It's like the first thing that you, that well, yeah, you see. Yeah, because I didn't want to spend 10 seconds on the just the first scene. Like I, I know. Usually do. I know. That's true. <laughs> Good. Uh, okay, fine. I'll give you that. Um, but it's this uh, Antigonus. King Antigonus and his daughter, who doesn't have a, a name. I don't think she's given a name. Um, who are in this incestuous relationship, but... Pericles doesn't know that and thinks she's beautiful and wants to marry her. And the only way he can do that is by guessing this riddle that Antigonus has put together, which is so obvious, but nobody has guessed it. Yeah. And so that, that ev- did feel unshakespearean the way the riddle was so obvious. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like yeah, I guess, someone else yeah. might have written that for sure. The, the same guy who wrote the the curse on his tomb, I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wrote probably, that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and so if you choose wrong. You die. And yeah. apparently if you choose right, you die too. Because Pericles guesses that this is what the problem is. Yeah. And is immediately set upon. Well, he's even six weeks or something to yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, well, you 40 can, days yeah, to yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then like Antigonus turns around and sends his, his dude bro after him to yeah. kill him. Yeah. Because nobody can know his terrible secret that he's been sleeping with his daughter. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of... Uh, I, I I hesitate to say it's a disappointment for Pericles, but it's it certainly sets the play in motion very quickly at the start to say he's he's in this problem, he's he's encountered this problem, and now he's he has to save his life by mm-hmm. fleeing. Yeah. Um, and this sets up his encounter with the second family that mm-hmm. he uh, meets in. Um, Is it started with a T too? Did it? Oh, yeah. these places are so I know. many. Um, but anyway, uh, Dionysus, Dionysus and Cleon. Yes. Cleon and Dionysus. Yeah. Um, who are leaders of a, a country Another. that's going through a famine yeah. or something. And so he arrives and bestows gifts upon them and becomes yeah. best friends yeah. with, with these these with two. And he kind of yeah. hides out there for a while, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then he's going to go home. Right. Uh, and that's when he has his first shipwreck. Yes. Uh, and he's washed up on shore with some fishermen. Yes. Who speak about English fishing phrases. Yeah. Um, and then there he he comes pro- across Simonides and his future... Simonides. Simonides, sorry. And his future uh, wife-to-be, Taiza. Taiza. Uh, and they have a very healthy relationship. They're very kind of joking and jovial and... and yeah, like uh, the total opposite yeah. to Antigonus and yeah. his daughter. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, he participates in this tournament and wins her heart and then, uh, he agrees to get married and then they, in quite disgusting terms, describe how he impregnates her that very wedding night. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, they're at sea nine months later and then, oh, the second, second shipwreck. shipwreck, what do you know? Um, and it's so bad that, uh, it kills, uh, Taiza. Well, she's she gives birth she gives to birth Marina, at, and then she yes. she kills her as she's uh, giving birth. Um, and of course, yes, he names his daughter Marina because she was born on a boat. And uh, in a weird naval tradition, again, they have to ship the dead body out. So they pack her in a box yeah. and put her it's out bad to Bad luck to have a body on board. Bad luck to have a body on board. Don't you know that, Aiden? I had no You're idea. You're not up with your naval superstitions? <laughs> not even a little bit. Uh, of course, this breaks poor Pericles' heart. Um, and he then moves on to uh, drop off his daughter, 
Back uh, with Dionysus and Cleon. Cleon. And and that's kind of our, our third kind of weird little family is that it's it's kind of like this adopted daughter stuck in this right. household. And we don't really get much of a view of it except for Dionysus is super jealous. Yeah, later on, obviously, right? Because yeah. do, ha- do they already have a daughter? No, I think point? she's born she's, later. Okay. I think she's born afterwards. Because so we see that, we see that after when we meet Marina as a teenager that yeah. Dionysus and Cleon do have a daughter who is like, like um, Marina is more beautiful and yeah. and everything it's very snow white and the yeah. wicked stepmother yeah. type thing right yeah. and um it, it, even down to like the huntsman being sent off to murder her yeah. right yeah. um so this is Dionysus' deceit of um or or betrayal of pericles's trust yeah and uh but it, it marina ends up escaping and is captured by pirates um who ship her off to yeah. trade her for uh, it, it sell her into a den of prostitution yeah. with Bod and Pander. Yeah. Um, Who are like her third yeah, set of parents, basically. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a funny but weird kind of dynamic they have where they're trying to get sell her virginity off. Yeah. But every man who goes in to spend the night with her just comes out as like a saint. He's like, she taught me the air of my ways and now I must yeah. go back to the good life. Well, and she's kind of been blessed by, by Diana, the yeah, goddess of yes. the moon and night and all and that virginity, stuff, right? Yeah, virginity. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's kind of what I think is, is happening yeah. here. She's like been... She's being protected. I yeah. mean, the same the same God family that destroyed <laughs> her father's ship twice yeah. is protecting her virginity. Mm. So, I mean, I guess good on them. Yeah, but. I mean, well, and if you want to talk about incest, I mean, it doesn't get much better than, you know, the Greek gods, right? I mean, sure. literally, uh, Juno and I don't remember what her name is in, in the Roman ones, but Hera, the Greek, Greek goddess. Juno the... Juno's Roman name? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was trying to oh, remember what Hera is. Oh, oh, oh. Zeus, Zeus and Hera, brother sister, getting it yeah. on, making all the baby gods. It's fucked up. It's <laughs> you know, it's it's a very Jupiter. incestuous Jupiter's Juno. It's huh? the same, isn't it? No. What? I don't know. Okay. See, this is why we're not good at, at the Greek plays. Either um, way, we yeah. have this other family that that uh ends up um not doing well by Marina. Yeah. And Marina ends up um, being released from this yes. bond of servitude, I guess, and um, happens to well, she ends up going to Lysimachus. Uh, Lysimachus. 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 I prefer well, my terrible pronunciation. But he, she ends up going to. Um, doesn't she end up in a like a like a a nunnery or not no, a no, nunnery, no, no, but no. like that was her. Her mother dies. Yeah, but no. no, Marina gets sold off into the. Uh, Instead of being a prostitute or a sex worker, she is. Uh, she convinces Bolt, which is yeah, uh, b- the bottom pander's son, quote, maybe son probably uh, the son of another yeah, sex worker. Yes, who, yes. Uh, so he's been working in the, in the brothel for quite some time. Uh, he she convinces him through the power of her goodness and all around uh, Christian chastity yeah. to uh, find her other employment, and that employment winds up being with Lysa Lysa Mac. Is it really? I didn't. Yeah. How did I forget? That. I don't know. But anyways, that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, you get the happy family at the end. Well, sort of. At first, he Pericles shows up and he's been like, he he's realizes depressed. that he his is daughter sad. is dead because yeah. he went back to Cleon and yes, Dionysus yes. and finds out that his daughter is See, this dead. Is the, this is the 12 minute plot Right, exactly. <laughs> and then, so he's been for a year not yeah. speaking, not doing anything. So Lysimachus brings um, 
uh, Marina to him, thinking, well, she's cured all these other people of their and foibles. So she does with him. Exactly. Too. But, but, in, a but different way. <laughs> in, a, in a different way. And it's through her story of her birth that he realizes who she is. Yeah. And then they end up going to um, the, the Temple of Diana after Pericles Diana gets appears, a, yeah, a, a dream, dream about yeah. her. And they find Thaisa, who yeah. has been working there um, or living been there, nun there for the last for 14, the last 14 years. years. Yeah. And now there it is. You have your happy family at the end. So that is really the arc of the story is is these travels through these different families Mm -hmm. and uh, how they're all, they have different dynamics, but a variation basically of three, three points. There's usually a a father or father, a daughter and some other thing, whether it's a lover or a future thing or in a mother. Yeah, exactly. It's this weird triumvirates of, uh, of characters and, these these things are spread all over the map. They're mm-hmm. all completely kind of separated, but similar enough that you think there's parallels. That was my reading, at least, is yeah. that, you know, it felt very much like Shakespeare and some of his other plays, like Much Ado and uh, Measure for Measure, was it Measure for Measure? The ones yeah. where, like, it's not really setting up a moral. It's not, he's building these contrasts, but then he's not drawing direct lines between the contrasts? No, it's more subtle. And and they're definitely foils for each other, right? Yeah. Like when you look at Antigonus and Simonides, for example, they're mm-hmm. definitely foils for one another. Yeah. And Antigonus's daughter and Thaisa, foils for one another. And I think we are meant to mm. see them as um, different and to question why they're different. And I think one of the things that the play wants us to look at is Another theme that we'll get to about power and about um, sex and about all these things that make a good leader, which is also something that Shakespeare is is heavily invested in Mm -hmm. trying to understand, I guess. So, yeah, I I just think it's more subtle. It's not like he's saying directly that these, with the exception of maybe Pander and Bod, although they are the only parents who don't bad parents, quote unquote, who don't meet a fiery death, you know? Like Dionysus and Cleon are dead by yeah. the end of the of their story, and yeah, Antigonus, Antigonus and his and, daughter are dead at the yeah. end of their story, but Bod and Pander are not. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because there would have been Bods and Panders in the audience, <laughs> or because Shakespeare was friends with so many Bods and Panders. Maybe their yeah. their sins aren't as bad as incest and murder. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's fair enough, right? And I feel like the 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 fourth act where it really does focus on on uh, Marina's experience in the brothel mm-hmm. it feels unlike anything else Shakespeare did. Um, and this is one of the acts that is attributed to Shakespeare. It's it's very focused on you know. The, the the nuts and bolts of prostitution. The economies of sex. Yes, and it's and it's uh it's an interesting diversion. It's a it's a different take on these characters and it it doesn't have a heavy handed moral certitude to it beyond beyond Marina yeah, Marina's thank own you. uh moral certainty. And that is that is a interesting thing because there's no one there who's really looking down on the bod and the pander. No, of it's, course not. It's and even they're not even looking down. Not looking. No, she's really. kind of like, and she's like, oh well, you can do anything to bolt. She's saying like, well, you can go do anything, but don't do this. Yeah. Like, go, you know, haul crap out of the sewers yeah. and stuff like that. But don't be a, don't be a someone who beats up uh, sex workers and stuff. Yeah, and. You know, there's there's that sense of of it, but it's a very personal one. It's not a very um, 
like the play has a moral certain certitude that's going to come down and strike down the bad people the way it yeah. does with the others. No, and it, that that I think is kind of the nice marriage here for Shakespeare between um, like the ancient Greek and Roman uh, structure of this, where it's like, oh, here's Marina and her little adventure, mm-hmm. but also needing to have the that Renaissance um, notion of a woman's purity being her sole mm-hmm. uh, currency in life. Yeah. So, so it's a nice marriage there of yeah. of those two um, theatrical traditions, I guess, or or storytelling traditions mm-hmm. that um, that yeah, it it does make it. But it is a very interesting act for sure, yeah. in the sense that it's just straight up talking about how can we get our money's worth out of this woman and this woman who doesn't. Not that she's. She's she's upset about it, but she's not like, you know, kicking and screaming. She's just using logic and things that a woman really shouldn't have access to, but she does, <laughs> you know, in a renaissance context. Yes, right? yes, of yes. Course, yes. No, it's um, very it's very true. And I think uh I think the eventual reunion between them also I, th- I feel like it builds up Marina's character so much that it kind of leaves Taiza because Taiza is uh, yeah. a really interesting character in the second act when they meet and they they kind of court a little bit uh, her and Pericles um, that then her character is basically just forgotten about and mm-hmm. you can tell like oh I'm here on this deserted thing I'll just go be a nun and I'm definitely coming back for Act Five like it it's very uh, telegraphed I mean the whole play is it's not like any of this is. Uh, a surprise but with marina except for marina's character going through this this prostitution storyline uh which is just not not shakespeare's usual approach yeah and i think there's i mean i hate to read into shakespeare's biography too much but there does seem to be a heavy focus in these later plays on fathers and daughters and shakespeare having lost his only son and being the father to two daughters um whom he hasn't seen much over the course of their lives there's there's a heavy emphasis on being separated from a father being separated from his daughter and then being reunited with her Mm -hmm. and the importance of there still being a familial bond between father and daughter the mother doesn't really matter after she's given birth (laughs) with the maybe possible exception of winter's tale I think yeah, which we'll talk about yeah, that's a when we get there. Set, but but, yeah. Um, but here you're yeah, like, the absolutely. mother doesn't really have much of a role to play after she's given birth to the heir who will carry on the line, even though that heir is a is a woman. Um, Pericles does give her and Lysimachus um, th- th- his kingdom, mm-hmm. right? So, and then he ends up staying with Thais and Pentopolis, where yeah. her father was king. Yes. So, yeah, I just think it's, it's yeah, she does fall out of importance. But she when she is important, it is when she, as she is shown to be the foil to Antigonus's daughter. I guess. I mean... Because she's at least given the choice yeah, of who she wants to marry. It's and true. there's a good relationship between her and her father. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Right? I would say that the... It's more interesting that the the mother figures overall, and this is what my main point around the whole family dynamics is that they don't jive up on one-to-one comparisons, is that there's no good mother figure, and yet Thais is the perfect mother figure, um, but she's not a mother for, at all because she doesn't even she doesn't meet her daughter until the very end. Yeah. And uh, the mother of Antigonus is his daughter. <laughs> like, like there, yeah. it, it just these these parallels 
fall apart the Dionysa longer you look at them. Dionysia is the foster mother. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the bod is is like a mother Another who, adopted who mother a mother who wants of. to sell her daughter. Yeah. Like it's 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 it just these things fall apart quickly as well, as you look at them more. Yeah, and more. I, I, maybe it's a it's a bit more of a deconstruction or a challenge to the idea that a woman can only be three things. Not that I again, I'm not trying to say Shakespeare was this wonderfully, you know. Uh, progressive person, but, he, but does, he does keep them in those roles. But he he has variations on it. I that's guess. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, right? Yeah. Where it's like you're not just a mother, uh, whore, or a virgin. Right? Mm-hmm. You you have vari- variations on that. Marina is a virgin who's also very very wise, and you've got um, the mother, uh, Thaisa, who takes on almost like a goddess-like role, at least in the version we watched, in which um, Thaisa at the end is played by the same actress who played. Diana throughout the play. Yeah, and the other nuns and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then you've got like a virtuous woman who becomes a mother, a, a biological mother, and then is a horrible woman yeah. after that. Yeah. She doesn't transform into a golden, you know, Madonna, right? She's trying to murder her foster daughter, right? So, I mean, there's, and then, and obviously the, the mother, wife, daughter, that is yeah, Antigonus's Antigonus daughter. Yeah. So yeah, it's variations on on the theme of womanhood. Um, it kind of throws a wrench into the easy categorization yeah. that we've come to expect. Why then the world's mine oyster, which I with sword will open. So let's talk about mortality as a theme. I think this is another big one because um, the the thing that keeps the family apart for so long is death, really. Even if it's not actual death um pericles imagines that taisa is dead and for all intents and purposes his daughter who he's abandoned with dionysa and cleon um is dead to him kind of he's not really concerned about her for the 14 years that he's gone then when he does return she's quote unquote dead dead as well um so this is what keeps him for at least that last year that he's separated from them um he is death is what's keeping them apart Mm -hmm. and so um that mortality is is a hugely important feature in the play but there's also this notion of rebirths happening as well Mm -hmm. um uh quote-unquote rebirth um you could even look at pericles rebirth at the end and when he emerges from the bed you know and talking with marina um and uh and I think mortality in the problem plays is not something that is like death is not the end. There's always, you know, what's lost can be recovered again, right? Yeah. Um, it's not the end of the line. There's always something more that can come out of it almost. It yeah. seems like that's what Shakespeare is playing with in these later plays and especially here that, um, you know, it's like, you can think everything is over, but then there's that one last twist and and you get everything back and then some, mm-hmm. right? And all the happiness you've been denied for the last 15 years can come back to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I mean, matching up with what you said earlier, there's definitely a focus on like uh, descendancy, you know, like yeah. uh, having children and living vicariously through them yeah. uh, after you're dead. And I think it's, I think... Falling back to a point I made even earlier about how this play isn't like Hamlet and Macbeth and the other tragedies is that, yes, the death 
in those is the final act. Right. You know, Macbeth's death is the end of the play. Hamlet's death. Hamlet's death is the, is end, the end of the, of the play. play and the whole point Othello's of that. death. Yeah, all these things. Yeah. Um, but here, uh, not only is it, uh, do the characters die and then also come back, but uh, you, you're left to ponder a bit after the death. Yes. Um, you're, you're left to see the pieces that are left over. Like after he hears the Marine is dead, Pericles could have killed himself. That could have mm-hmm. been the end of the play. Like if it was a tragedy, he could have ended it there and yeah. or gone on for you know him lamenting for six weeks and then killing himself. Instead, or it's a year of of metaphorical death. Yeah, exactly. Of, you know, but it's not silence death. exactly. And, yeah. and he he continues on and and yeah. the the outcome of that death is examined and yeah. uh, given room to breathe. Yeah. And I think that's the uh, the really interesting part about the mm-hmm. the romances, especially Winter's Tale. We're gonna. We're going to talk the hell out of that one when it comes up because it's, <laughs> you know, the idea of da- death in that one is both permanent and non-permanent. Yeah. And here it's kind of a, a Schrodinger's similar. death. Yeah, Schrodinger's death. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's very, very similar here in the sense that uh, you have the parents uh, living through the children um, and then the children, uh, you know, when the children die, that's when... I guess death really kind of comes. Well, but or doesn't if they keep the line going, yeah. right? Which is again, a, well, it ends a, on a, a concern. Too. Yeah, yeah. But that's a concern of Shakespeare's at this point. Um, he's three, four years away from the end of his career, yeah. and looking at a legacy and looking at what is he left behind, and he's going to die in seven years or eight years. Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're nearing the end of your life. You you worry about these things. I think that's natural. But if he can have his line carry on, if Pericles can have his line carry on, um, notably, Antigonus mm-hmm. cannot have his line carry on. Yeah. Um, his, his daughter's marriage to Pericles would have not produced probably not produced um the heirs or it it just couldn't have done that because that's that's how the play's morality is set up right it's an incestuous relationship that they have so that that can't bear fruit Mm -hmm. um uh bod and pander have children who are not probably not theirs but they're being (laughs) raised because their mothers died because they were infected with (laughs) gonorrhea or herpes or whatever else killed you back then could herpes kill you i don't know i don't know probably anything kill you back then right you know um so i mean they're they don't have a a line that's going to carry on for them so i mean really the the most successful parent the most successful family is pericles family and the the great irony of that is that they're not really a family until (laughs) the very last scene yeah um which is yeah kind of kind of interesting there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Um, there, the rebirths in the play, I think, are also interesting to talk about. And I wanted to ask if you thought Lysimachus um, had a metaphorical rebirth mm. as well. Because he's the only other important male figure in, yeah. um, in Marina's story, life. Yeah. Um, and and I, it's kind of gross that he, he arrives intent on taking her virginity at the the brothel and she convinces him not to and then he winds up falling in love with her and asking her father if he can woo so he, her and he gets her. it anyway right yeah, yeah exactly but through moral moral means yeah, i guess yeah. right and uh 
And in, in the end, I guess it's kind of like a, a little bit of a prostitution. It's just that the pander is her father, father. right? <laughs> who yeah, sells we'll just keep her. those parallels. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's hard not to. It's true. But, yeah, no, uh, but, I hadn't thought of that part. You know, Lysimachus um, and all the men that come into contact with Marina really yeah, experience this, yeah, yeah, yeah. this rebirth. Yeah. Except for the guy who tries to kill her. I thought that's what would, what would happen is that it would start there. Well, I mean, he did. He did hesitate. not kill her. Yeah, he he hesitated killing her long enough for the pirates to capture her to sell her to the to the brothel, yeah. right? So, I mean, it is a, a long chain of this, but yes, it's it is interesting that like Marina, maybe it's the fact that she's connected to the sea, uh, yeah. nomenclaturally. Uh, but you know, it's it's like a set, it's a site of rebirth because Taiza is also dead, and then yeah. rebirth uh, after her birth of of Marina, and yeah. after she's kind of parted with the sea so it's it's i mean the sea taketh and the sea giveth back that's is not that the that's line? that's a terrible that the... I, no that's not it at no. all um <laughs> but yeah i mean it's it is interesting to think about this that i mean and again it is a play about the mediterranean the mediterranean was the lifeblood of yes. these these communities and these places for thousands of years mm-hmm. and to this day in a lot of cases so it's it's yeah it's it's interesting to think that this this sense of continued rebirth and renewal uh is tied to the sea and is tied to uh across all of these characters to the next generation which is which is also quite ironic because there are two shipwrecks in this play that should have killed people and probably did kill people so the sea does take the way um but yeah it's the site of it's the site of rebirth it's his daughter and the sea are are the things that he's battling against i guess in this in this story. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, Brute. And You wanted to talk about deception, Lindsay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I kind of thought it, it, it kind of fits nicely in after the mortality because you do have the deception of death and not mm, death yeah. appearance versus reality, right? Sure. But, um, but even more uh, strongly, um, as I said, when I first read the play i didn't think pericles had much of a growth arc um because the characterization at least in terms of his heroism was kind of static right but he is a pretty bad judge of character at the beginning of the play um walking into antigonus's court and saying yes this beautiful woman that i i must marry i i want to try my hand at marrying her um and yet she is involved in this apparently gravely sinful like to the point that nobody wants anything to do with them once he finds out that that she's well he's not allowed to marry her because he's pretty much gonna die if he stays in the kingdom but it's kind of like his um his desire for her is based on appearances Mm. not based on like he thinks she's beautiful he thinks she looks like she would make a good queen but deep down she's this rotten soul who's been corrupted by an incestuous relationship with her father Mm. flash forward to his arrival on the shores of uh pentapolis Pentapolis. was it it's not petropolis is it petropolis that was pent like five pentapolis pentapolis well, whatever, whatever it is, yeah, the Peepopolis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stop. Um, mm. And he has to wear rusted armor and carry like a willow branch or something mm. into this jousting tournament. Um, it's like the reversal of that or or him getting a taste of that himself, right? Where he doesn't look like much of a 
a fighter, but he wins Thais's heart anyway. And she chooses him over mm-hmm. the other people who are in this, who are much better suited to marrying a great princess. Um, so that idea that what's on the surface is not necessarily what's deep down. Um, and the fact that he recognizes that, even if he doesn't come right out and say it, it's it's a neat little parallel, I thought, that he to accepts... What? He, he looks at his first um, love, interest. love interest and says, she looks great. I want to marry that. I mm-hmm. put a ring on it. Yeah. But can't, won't, realizes that deep down she's not what she appears to be and goes off. And then he has to be the opposite of that. He has to show up in rusted armor with no jousting stick. What are they called? Swords? Well, no. Is it? Lance. With, I don't know. A Whatever lance. it is that you would that you would use in a jousting tournament. A lance. Yeah. A lance. <laughs> um, and he has to show up and be uh, like outwardly unworthy. Yeah. But deep down inside, he is this great hero. That yeah. that part is... And that's what Thaisa sees. She, she can look past yeah, the yeah, ugly yeah. exterior. So well, I think I mean, that's yeah. kind of a... Okay. That's fair. I mean, I think... He does look past it pretty well. As soon as he reads the poem, he's like, "Oh shit!" I gotta well, that's get what out I mean. But thing. he has to read the poem first, and and like, yeah, because you can't tell if someone's in an ancestor's relationship by no, looking at them. Of course not. But it's also, I mean, this is a work of literature, and so it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you know, because she does see a prince, even though he's not dressed as, as yeah. Well. Um. So yeah, I mean, okay, sure, sure. I mean, I think Pericles. I think that where I see the arc for him is from and i think it's it's very particular to the play the way the play works in terms of the time jumping and everything but it's it's pericles as suitor to pericles's father i think that's that's the transition pericles as suitor to his own father pericles as suitor to Pericles as oh, father. Oh, i heard you say yeah, no i got i heard what you said i heard what you father. heard Lindsay. Okay. it didn't yeah <laughs> Sorry. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Maybe if you didn't mumble. Well, that's not going to happen. So he goes to become this father figure. And yes. It, it kind of feels like that's what he was aiming for all along. But yeah. um, he really reaches it in this in the in the shipwreck scene kind of where he's like, I have to give up my wife in order to save right. my daughter. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's that transition in that moment. And then when I think that's what makes his his eventual happy family moment works so well is the fact that he he grows from someone who just wants to find a woman in order to start a family to someone who suddenly has a family and has to make the tough decisions about how to keep them alive. Hmm. And he gives up his daughter in order to, for her best life to happen, right? Um, and then when he loses her too, he's completely broken and then, you know, he's gifted them back by the, by the gods kind of thing. Sure. I, I find that to be kind of like the underlying dynamic of his growth yeah and i feel like it, it maybe doesn't have too much to do with deception but it's more about um understanding his own well it's maybe? it's it's just a maturity yeah. process it's a character yeah. who is given the chance to mature unlike hamlet who is a young brash intellectual emo kid um, for the entire play and doesn't really have any growth. He's not allowed to grow. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you can think of Richard III or any of any of Shakespeare's other titular heroes or characters mm-hmm. um, are not given that chance to grow and Pericles is. Yeah. Because 
it takes place over 15 years and you sure as hell hope that somebody would grow. But that's, that's another hallmark of these later plays Mm -hmm. that these heroes are complicated and they're given a chance to make mistakes and, and understand the error of their ways. Right. Um, and and even even in the sense of, of deception, I mean, Pericles is not immune to this still because Dionysa and Cleon do deceive him about the death of yeah, his daughter. That's true. Um, and he believes them because mm. whatever he does. Um, there's there are other examples of, of deception. I guess the uh, um, I mean maybe it's not really deception, but the way that Marina is able to convince all of the people who are paying lining up to take her virginity that they don't actually want that yeah it's a kind of deception i guess <laughs> yeah, that's, right that's true um but i guess that's just it it was just an interesting idea that that um your growth and your maturity can come uh and be recognized through your response to being deceived i guess or or your response to deceiving someone mm-hmm. or something but you're right. I, I guess it is partly um, his growth as a into being a father. Because you're right. He does have to make that choice. Although I don't think it's like I could sacrifice Marina to the sea and my wife will come back to me. Yeah. But he still does make the he's well, he's forced into the choice to, you know, have a, a sea burial during this tempest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, he does kind of have fatherhood thrust upon him. Very quickly. <laughs> By the sea. But that was his goal. That's true. He was after that. Mm-hmm. Villain, I have done thy mother. Speaking of making babies, uh, we want to talk about power and sex a little bit. Um, and again, it's it's tied back to the family, obviously, most mm-hmm. most uh, purposefully, uh, in the, especially in Antigonus and his daughter, but also in uh, the making of Marina. And, yeah. uh, you know, then Marina's... Uh, subsequent super chastity belt, you know, style. Uh, it's 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 a sense of yeah. uh, who has power over sex, um, and who has and how power does sex create sex. Yes. power? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I guess the have, sorry, well, yeah, no. Like I, there, but yeah. Um, Shakespeare's central concern in a lot of plays is who is a good ruler, what makes a good ruler. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're given the chance to see so many different kinds of rulers, we see kings we see um governors we see uh heads of families Mm -hmm. or or heads of houses and we see how they hold on to power how they gain power and how they lose power Mm -hmm. and so it's um it's kind of an interesting case study when you look at all these different um, characters and and realize why pericles fits and doesn't fit with each of them as he goes through and almost like learns who yeah, he is through yeah, these interactions yeah. and so at the end um and, and even as we said he's not really ruling over anything he he doesn't go back to tyre and and sit on his throne and well he might it's not really clear what happens i in guess the 14-year gap, but we don't see yeah. it i guess yeah, that's yeah, the that's point true. right yeah. we don't see him as a ruler we see him acting as a ruler and he does do things that i think shakespeare wants us to view as He's a good ruler, mm-hmm. right? He bestows goodness on Dionysus and Cleon. He bestow like food and and yep. and help. Yep. Um, he gives his daughter to them. He is um, the winner of this jousting tournament and has all this uh, heroism that uh, shines forth, even though he's not 
outwardly appearing as such. Um, so I think he is probably a good ruler and, and his best move at the end is really transferring all of that to his daughter and her new husband mm-hmm. to say, now you go off and rule Tyre and we'll stay here and stay out of your way. Yeah. It's almost like he understands that it's now someone else's turn to shine and and I have what I want. I'm happy with what I want. He's not power hungry like Macbeth or like um, Richard III. He's able to know when it's know when to hold him, mm-hmm. know when to fold him. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And and I think that's kind of and his attitude towards power is kind of a healthy one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Unlike the other people. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And sex, right? He doesn't he doesn't want anything to do with incest. Yeah. He he doesn't he won't he doesn't even pursue Thaisa. She's really the one who pursues yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. And like denies it all when her father jokingly comes yeah. after him and yeah. is like, You want my daughter? And he's yeah. like, No, I swear no, I, I don't, swear right? He's he's like, yeah, his attitude towards sex is very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um he's obviously got the ability to make a baby really fast because yeah. like the wedding Personal night guy. you know yeah. well and Thaisa also had yeah. a role to play in Clear. that I'm sure <laughs> um yeah and then uh it's it's interesting just then to look at how Marina's attitude towards sex is kind of even though she has nothing to do with her father for the first 14 years of her life 15 years of her life um she still kind of is imbued with this goodness yeah right yeah. And because, she has yeah. a ton of power because of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, no, I, I I have nothing more to say. That's a very good point because like you're right, it's it's this I will say that I think everybody who has who deviates sexually yeah. is punished in this movie. Or in this movie. In, in this, this play. play. Uh obviously Antigonus dies, uh Cleon and Dionysa as failing parents, pseudo parents, are also punished. Well they lose their meal ticket for sure. Yeah. But yeah. how yeah. are they punished? They die as well. It's mentioned. Oh Cleon and Dionysa? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, no, I'm thinking of Bod and Pandora. They aren't. No, they're not. But I again, I don't know that that's a deviation from yes, sex. Yeah, right? exactly. Like I feel like <laughs> I feel like, yes, within the play, paid Sex, because, but we don't see any paid sex. No. It, it's very, you know, because we all, all we see is Marina and she's too pure f- to ever let that happen. So, yeah. Well, we um, kind of see at the beginning, there's there's a hint of it at the at the beginning with the guy who's fallen asleep and... Yeah, okay. Or yeah, whatever, guess, but, yeah. but it's but, uh, very... Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's there to establish a scene yes. more than anything. Yes. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I, 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 I get the sense that within this play, at least, Shakespeare's saying, you know what, uh, that's better than incest. And it's better yeah, than murder, like yeah, you were saying. Like yeah. that's, you know, of all the of it's all the ex- vices we're going to punish. Vice. Yeah, yeah, we're we're not going to punish this one in this. Point. Yeah, which is, um, and because they were, it was such a common thing. Everybody did it. Like there were so many brothels. There were, you know, right around the corner from the houses where these plays were being put on. So, um, it was an ever-present fact of life that sex was not seen as this. The, the, the Puritans hadn't taken root yet. Yeah, yeah, that, it yeah. seems like our puritanical attitude towards sex is we can't like backwards compatible like put that on the the past because yeah. they didn't have that. That well, really it, wasn't a thing. I mean, it was in the sense, but it was it was like an individual sense. Like it for Marina, her power comes from her chastity. Sure, but, but 
you know, it, it's nothing to say that the institution of prostitution is a bad thing, perhaps, no. you know, or, or not as it not was, as evil as something like incest or something like that, right? needed to be legitimized so that lineages could be legitimized. Yes, exactly. That's the reason that you that you needed to know who the father of your child was and if that baby was not legitimate. Like all of that. Yeah. That's not really a concern here. Yeah. It's like sex work and brothels and the, the work that Bard or that Bod and Pander are doing is seen as like a necessary thing for these yeah. people because it's it's not about creating it's babies. not about creating babies but <laughs> marina sees that she still understands that her power comes from her virginity and she uses that yeah. to great effect yeah. um so i would almost say she is the most powerful sexual figure because mm-hmm. of that I would say so. and so um but it's it's that ironic twist that she doesn't have to have sex in order to use that power. Yeah. It's and and so it does make her a pretty important character, um, and that's unique in and of itself. That she's this young woman. She's Juliet's age, right? Yeah. And yet her life is very different. Um, the other thing I just wanted to throw in there: the version of the play that we watched was the Stratford Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, production of Pericles 2015, yeah. from 2015 yeah. and um, and they made an interesting choice and I, I I couldn't find any more information about this um, just from a brief Google search I did this afternoon um, this is not a play that's been put on very often either so I'm not sure if this is considered like a trope in the play or in the production of a play but the um, the father and daughter Antigonus and his daughter are the same actors who played Simonides and Thaisa. And then uh, Marina is played by the same actress, actress who played Thaisa as well. So she plays all three of the women that are most important to Pericles. And most desired throughout the play. Yes. And so I, I was kind of grossed out by it at the beginning (laughs) because I thought, well, that's weird to have, you know, um, Pericles and Thaisa, being portrayed by the by two actors in a marriage scene they're going off to bed together and then in the very next act you've got um him, him hugging his daughter hugging his daughter played by the same actress yeah. and and it harkens back to the incestual relationship yeah. between Antigonus and his daughter not at all represented in the play like that is not at all what Pericles and Marina are like not in the but, text not in the yeah. text yeah. but um I, I guess I'm curious if that's something that is common to have yeah. this have the same actress play Marina and Thaisa and Antigonus's daughter. Yeah. And if so, is that another undercurrent about family and sex and power? Is that a choice? Because it seemed like if it is just choice that this production made, it's an interesting one. And but it does draw those parallels. It does absolutely draw those parallels. And it, which I'd say the play fights against very hard. I feel like the the text itself is saying there's Antigonus on one end and there's Pericles way over across the Mediterranean sure. on the other end because they are not at all like, and here I'm going to spend five acts explaining how. But then you have the daughter who's his wife who's his daughter. And it's like, okay, that that's, yeah, it's a choice. I, I yeah, I thought it was a little distracting too. And especially because like, uh, nothing against the actress who played her. She was she did a great job otherwise, mm. but she she put on kind of like a childish tone when yeah. she was playing Marina uh, versus the the voice she'd used a little bit earlier. She Thais. did, kind but of she did have it as well. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, and that's the other thing is Thais is supposed to be pretty young when right. uh, 
when what's his name is Pericles. is yeah Pericles is kind of courting her she's courting him mm. like so it's it, it does it does feel a little it's a little strange all around I, I I'd put that out there for sure I guess I guess it's just still um, a reference to the healthiness of the relationships there are healthy relationships there's healthy sexual relationships and there are unhealthy sexual relationships in the play and and having the same actress in all well because i think it's it's the the decision to do that might be um another symbol of the growth of of the i don't know I guess. I, I mean, you go I from mean, you go from incestuous harlot. Maybe it's to easier. It's it might be easier to imagine to even more virtuous maid. Well, yeah, and it might be easier to imagine that that difference if you have the same actress in that role. I don't know. Maybe I guess I could drop her. I don't know, but I it's suppose. it was still it was still interesting. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So this episode's ancient bickerings. We are going with. A, a different take. I, I This is a good question because uh, you came up with it right before we started recording. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, we'll come up with a better question. But I like this question mm-hmm. the longer we've gone because uh, this play is interesting in this way in that it, it begs the question, let's say, Lindsay, who is the villain of this play? Mm. Who's the antagonist? Is I it the thought, sea? <laughs> I thought I had an answer. Um, when I started, and then I, I was going to throw the wrench in there and say it is the sea. It might be the sea. Maybe okay. the sea is the vi- You know what? The sea is the villain. The okay. sea is the villain. Okay. Okay. Um, because it is, I think, or, or at least the god of the sea, right? If we're going to, you know, talk about fate and fortune and all that stuff, which is another theme that we didn't touch on. Yeah. Um, how much of this is, is how much of Pericles' misfortunes are caused by you know, divine intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the fact that there are two shipwrecks, it's 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 like that saying, like, if I had a nickel for every time, I'd have two nickels. Yeah, yeah. It's Which not a lot, lot but it's <laughs> yeah. weird that it happened twice. Yeah. Um, two shipwrecks in a play, and both times they lead to... Well, the first time, I guess, it leads to... A positive a outcome. A positive outcome, yeah. although it leads to the quote-unquote death of his daughter so that Mm -hmm. relationship is you know um is set into motion in that shipwreck the second shipwreck causes him to lose his wife and his daughter um in a in a weird way so the parallels are kind of hard to ignore and you have to wonder in a play that has so much divine intervention in a play where diana appears as a character and there's so many links to the divine how can you not see this this major obstacle being the sea? How can you not see that that the 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 god of the sea or whatever being, you know, Poseidon? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and the idea that the moon has an effect on the tides and Diana's there too. I mean, I think there's there's there may be some maybe some going on there. Okay. I I would think I would think that. Okay. Um. I will go for something almost as ethereal. I will say that desire is Ooh. the enemy in okay. the villain. The villain, the antagonist. Yeah, I'd say that because desire is what causes everybody to do everything bad in this play. Uh, desire is what causes everyone to do everything. I know, no, all the time. I, I was going to say it's, <laughs> it's maybe it's more. I would say okay. I'll say it's sexual desire then, because okay. it, I think obviously Antigonus and his daughter wife are the, the prime example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it also applies to to an extent uh, Dionysa wanting to protect her own child versus her adopted child. She she has this sexual procreation uh, yeah. desire, and that's what that's what pushes her on. I think obviously Marina in the brothel fighting against sexual desire hmm. is her is her uh, you know the the source of her whole arc and her whole being is to fight against this. I think the fact that. Uh, Taiza becomes a nunnery in a, a temple devoted to Artemis, Diana, you know, the, the goddess of chastity. I feel like mm. this is a play that's very, very concerned with um, with sexual desire and the negative impacts it can have. Um, and I feel like it's interesting because Pericles, again, doesn't have that desire. Um, the one time that he mm. does, that when, when he winds up with Taiza, he's... It's her pursuing it. Maybe it, I would say it's male sexual desire, but then that doesn't fit with Dionysia quite so much. So I'd say because he doesn't have it in that instance, he's just engaging with her on a human level. Uh, it makes their relationship much more pure. And frankly... He has a healthy sexual He has desire. a healthy sexual desire. So does Taiza. And uh, they have sex purely for procreation because they only do it once and then all of a sudden they got a baby. So yeah. I feel like it, it does kind of fit within the, the Shakespearean era uh, morality. morality setup as well. Um, and it the the thing that confuses it is still Bod and Pander. I'd, I'll admit that because yeah, they're just... they're, they're, they stick out like a sore thumb, but they are also not sexual creatures. They don't... They, they even... Uh, Pander in the version we watched was played as kind of like a fop, like maybe a gay mm-hmm. character, gay coded mm-hmm. character. So it's he's not even, you know, he doesn't have the desire for right. Marina. Uh, they hand it off to Bolt, who also doesn't really have the desire. He doesn't, he doesn't show like he wants to. He's ordered to say, well, you have to deflower her now, and so that she'll become a whore just like all these other ones. And he doesn't really want to. It just hits his job, like, and that's why she convinces him to to not do it. Is he's like, well, you could do anything. You don't have to. You don't have to rape me. You can go do something else. And hmm. you know, so he doesn't even really have it, and he kind of turns out to be a good guy. And Lysimachus, 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 uh, he has the desire, and when he conquers it, that's when he has something good happen to him. Well, when Marina convinces him to conquer it. When he when he sees the error of sexual desire and moves on to just being a, a, a bro, you know, that's hmm. when he when he does well. So I, that would be my point of view. That's where all the evil comes from in this play, is sexual desire. And I think it's, I think it's coded that way, you know, it's like four lines in, and it's like, evil Antigonus has been boning his daughter, and you're like, whoa, whoa! This yeah. is the start of the play. We're getting right into it, I guess. You know, that, I mean, that was my ease us in. Where's yeah. the foreplay? Yeah, but <laughs> thank you, Lizzie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's none because it's huh. it's just like this is the root of all evil right here. You you see something so pretty, you have to bone it, even though it's your daughter. Like that that's just you're fucked in the head. Now we're gonna yeah. deal with the consequences. For five okay. Acts. All right. I guess in the the like, have we talked about this before? And the the idea that they're uh, this is going to sound bad. Maybe I shouldn't say it. I think it was in... Too late now. Too late now. I think it was in... Total aside. Yeah. Uh, the, the um, uh, like, cast, crew, interview, background thing on the When Harry Met Sally DVD. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, um, let's take us down this avenue. And it was, uh, I, and I, I'm almost 100% positive it was Nora Ephron who said it, that there are Jewish comedies and Christian comedies. Yeah. And that Christian comedies are where there's like a physical barrier in yes. the way between the hero and the heroine yeah. or the, the protagonist. And, and the antagonist interest, is a yeah. physical thing, yeah. right? Um, that's maybe the C. But then there's this, <laughs> this the Jewish comedy, it's where it's something internal. Yeah. There's like a... a you know, it's a character versus self, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's what you're kind of getting at here. So maybe I'm, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying you won this debate, but I'm saying that maybe in that sense, the internal We're conflict of sexual desire, okay, and the physical conflict or the physical barrier of the sea, both act against characters in the play. Although the sea really only acts against Pericles. But he's and a, Marina he, but he's a as the C, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then it it, yeah. it is complicated when you think that yeah, Marina, Marina is yeah. not like she is the C, yeah, in name, if nothing else. But she, so she's the bad guy. That's that's what I mean. That's comp. Yeah, maybe you did win. Shit. Yes. I should have gone with my gut because what I wanted to say, and and then you kind of goaded me into saying the C, because <laughs> apparently I'm very uh, like, suggestive. Yeah. Um, suggestible, suggestible, <laughs> suggestive, story. also suggestive. Um, I was going to say it's it's an internal. It's it's you know Pericles against himself. It's all mm. characters against themselves. And I should have said that because then I would have won. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I I think I do agree with you. Yeah, that it is the that it is as close as you can get to yeah. a, a weird play like this for sure. It is for all all I have. He'll eat me out of house and home. Lindsay, what is next on the old docket? Um, I do? believe we are going to be talking about Shakespeare's scholarship. Okay, um, the ivory tower. The ivory we'll go for a we're taking stroll. on the yeah. ivory tower. We're not um, taking it off. We've well, no, I guess we're <laughs> we're going to discuss it though. I think this is an interesting topic, just in the sense that um, there is so much Shakespearean scholarship, and there has been so much Shakespearean scholarship for so many years. There's you know, the bardolatry side of things where, you know, people are, are fawning over Shakespeare and then there are the the people who it's just literary analysis and they're the people who don't even believe that Shakespeare was Shakespeare. We're not going to tackle the authorship question yet, but yeah, I mean, the idea that there's this whole um, industry built up around it and our last episode on teaching Shakespeare kind of illustrated that. I mean, the fact that we that we still feature Shakespeare so prominently in curricula all over the world is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the idea of Shakespeare scholarship is one that I, I'm kind of interested in yeah. kind of deep diving. Yeah, it'll be cool. Uh, and after that, we have Coriolanus on our next play, right. which is great because I've never read it. No. I think we saw it once. I think we saw it once. Yeah, we did see it at, at our local... Uh, Shakespeare Festival, so we'll yeah. look forward to that. But um, yeah. yeah, that's that's it for the next couple episodes. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Yeah. I, I This was a fun play. It was, it was a really fun play. It's kind of a hard one to talk about to an extent because it doesn't have the big themes to in the it way that does, some other ones do. Not, that, yeah, it's not yeah, the same. It's, it's a very and it, different And it's play. also hard to, to do because we want to watch these versions and there aren't Many. I think no. the BBC did their yeah, version. Yeah, we could have watched the I BBC. think there was one film version. Oh, really? I, I think oh, I didn't even look it up. Been done okay. I assumed not because I... But if yeah. you are in Canada and you're able to watch, or if you can get your hands on the Stratford version, I really, it, it really is a nice yeah, version a fun, of it. it and they fun. did something really cool where it's like, 
most of the play is set in in like a Victorian time. There's yeah. Victorian costumes, but the whole scene with Simonides and Thaisa and and the Opolis Court, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. is like Renaissance times. So the costume changes are gorgeous, and and it really is like they do such a good job. Mm-hmm. The Stratford Festival. If, if you have the chance to watch it, I would highly recommend doing that. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.